Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm a feminist, but... Um, for a few days, um, just before and just at the start of the fringe, I was so full of nerves that I couldn't eat. And it was fucking horrific. <laughs> How does that make you less feminist? I think all feminists know that you should oh, eat. Oh, eating, fem- eating is a feminist act. Yeah, I- eating is a feminist eating act. Eating is a feminist act. Riots, not diets. Is a T-shirt that I recently saw. Not my joke, but very much my lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but as I was rushing here because I was running late, I ran past a flyerer who was flyering me with a seriously earnest feminist show. And I put my hand up as I jogged on and said, I'm late for my own feminist show. And then stepped out onto the street without looking and was nearly killed by a white van man, which I believe is the way a feminist is killed if she has just rejected another feminist. (laughs) It's possible that the universe is sending me that white man van to say, be careful, look out. (laughs) 
I'd be so sad if oh. I died at the fringe as well because the fringe always makes me cry. And I'd feel like it was having the last laugh. Silver lining, though, can't keep crying once you're dead. True. Yeah. Could you please have, if I do die at the fringe, yeah. could you please have some kind of memorial charity concert in my honour called Deborah Francis White Gets the Last Laugh? <laughs> or just the last laugh is probably enough. Don't put my name in it. I don't want to send it myself. Perfect. <laughs> at my own memorial. I'm a feminist, but um, for my um, poster for the fringe this year, like every good feminist, I'm um, naked weightlifting. Um, <laughs> but. I did let the photographer Photoshop the shit out of my guts. It's a very hot picture. Because the guts have been Photoshopped to shit. It is. It is. There's an amazing photographer called Little Sukan, and it's the white, sort of like that white powder that bodybuilders use. It's called chalk. Chalk. <laughs> I'm not much one for bodybuilding. I don't know what the mysterious arts are, but she's covered in chalk naked, and it's very atmospheric. I'm a feminist, but recently I was asked to go to one of those big summer outdoor music festivals to do an event with a sort of noble nature. And I don't like going to music festivals. The only one I do is Latitude, and I tend not to do them because I don't like camping, I don't like being outdoors, I don't like the heat or the rain. I don't like, I don't like performing in tents where people are wandering in and out and they're hot and stoned and they just sit and look at you like you're a lava lamp. I don't like any of it. But how this person tried to get me to do it, genuinely, was they said, look, I'm not meant to tell anyone this, but John Hamm is also going to be at this event, and he's connected to the same organisation, so you will get to meet him. And I thought about it really hard. And I thought, OK, I only get to meet John Hamm once for the first time. And I'm going to be like dirty and sweaty and my makeup's going to be falling off and he's going to be in a jumper with holes and wellies. And, and I just thought, that's not how either of us want it to be. <laughs> I mean, both of us know the moment's coming and both of us are excited about it. I'm sure, of course. I'm sure someone said to him, have you heard of this podcast? They talk about you all the time. Deborah Francis White. They must have. Someone must have said it to him. Of course they have. He knows he's going to meet me. I mean, I don't know how much he thinks about it. Honestly, how many episodes he's listened to over and over again, listening for his own name, thinking, oh, I wasn't mentioned this week. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that he doesn't want to meet me like that. I'm a feminist, but in my flat up here for the fringe, there's a bath, and then in the middle of a bath, there's this small, extendable mirror with a circular mirror like that, um, like a magnifying mirror. And I was like, oh, what's that for? And my first thought for what it was for was like, oh, that's for um, men to sort out their beards. What's it really for? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's really for having a right good look at your tuppence. Is it? Yeah. Isn't it just for, like, close-up work on your paws? Oh. <laughs> Are we ready to start the show? <laughs> then welcome, welcome, welcome to the Guilty Feminist Edinburgh Festival live at the Pleasant Grand! Hello, this is Deborah. 
When we first put this episode out, it included an I'm a feminist butt joke from me about using disabled lavatories. Almost immediately, many listeners pointed out to me that this really isn't okay. When disabled people have to wait for able-bodied people who are using their facilities, it can cost them dearly. I did know better than this, and I really apologise for a very bad example set and the hurt caused. We've now removed the joke from the podcast episode, and I won't be making jokes like that again. I take full responsibility for this mistake, and I thank everyone who took the time to write in and point it out. If you're able-bodied, please don't use disabled loos, even if you perceive it to be an emergency. Thank you. Massive apologies. And now, on with the podcast. Hello. Have you seen anything good at the Edinburgh Festival? Have you seen anything good and feminist? Give us a cheer. Anyone want to shout out anything they've seen that's good and feminist? I've, oh, hold on, a man was first. Come on now, he's an ally. He's an ally, he's here. He's paid for a ticket. Have you paid for a ticket? Good. That was hesitation, wasn't it? I don't know why he would be given Well, it might have been bought for him by a woman who's... Oh, was it bought for... It was bought for you by a woman? And you're yeah, the first good. audience member to speak. Okay, I'm interested. <laughs> What's your name, sir? Clive. Of course it is. No, no <laughs> come on, uh, come on. Sorry. Men are welcome in feminism. Thank you, Clive. What is your recommendation? <laughs> Ivory wings. That sounds I'm, lovely. And it also sounds practical for one of the four weeks of the month. Is that the way in which it was a feminist show? <laughs> I thought that too, but I thought I won't say that. Because no, it could be you're a very... sharing the panel tonight with scum and she already will do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought, I don't know how quite to communicate that. But you did it very beautifully and articulately. Ivory Wings, what's it about? Clive, do you do voiceovers? Oh, sorry, I've ruined that. <laughs> oh, well, now you feel bad for mocking it, Jess, I yeah. guess. No, <laughs> I wasn't mocking it. I was complimenting Clive on his sonorous tones. <laughs> if Clive was doing a radio advert for Todd's Doors, I'd go out and buy Todd's Doors. That's a radio advert I've actually done, Debs. Is it? Is yeah. it? Todd's have... Doors, buy more doors, great doors, really solid doors from Todd's Doors. <laughs> Um, if, You're missing your vocation, Clive. You know what? I'm gonna, very well paid, very easy work. I'm going to send an edit of this to Todd's Doors and say, this is coming out unless you pay us. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Sponsored by Todd's Doors. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Todd's Doors. Anyone need doors? Out of interest? Who doesn't need doors? Who needs doors? Just out of interest. Could you just say yes, because I want Todd's Doors to think, oh, we've, this is worth paying for. <laughs> That's too many. It's implausible. I read one or two posh people to say, oh, we need doors for the summer house, Larry. <laughs> Something like that. Ah, that's a lovely Friends reference. Yes, does anyone else know that? Rachel going to the regatta gala. Yeah, very good. I appreciated it. Other people are too young. Um, so today, uh, I should do this. <clears throat> Oh, read that out. Yep. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, and with me is Jessica Foster and we're talking about friendship! <laughs> 
I think sometimes that friendship is the basis of feminism. It's sort of, feminism is really just friendship on speed. <laughs> it's friendship this hyped Sisterhood up. is a kind of friendship, sure. It is sort of what it is, isn't it? It's like if we all stand together in a tribe, yeah. and we look out for each other, mm. even when we annoy each other, then things will change. Yeah, it's a lovely way of looking at it. Yep. Do you know 29th of July the other day, that's International Friendship Day. Oh. I only knew that because someone, a man, who I don't really know very well and have met once, sent me a message saying, Happy International Friendship Day and thanks for your great friendship. And I thought, fuck me, he's got a low bar. <laughs> but it was lovely of him. <laughs> I'm not, it, not it, his friend, but I've met him once. Then you're not his friend. You can't no, be someone's okay, friend. That's I'm not an his acquaintance. Friend. That's an acquaintance. I mean, if anything, but not even... Yeah. Have you ever had a situation with someone that you don't know very well and then they ask you to be their bridesmaid and you go, oh, are we good friends? Because a friend of mine once, a good friend of mine once, she went over to someone's house who, someone, you know, she'd had coffee with after work sort of thing and, you know, she was, the other person was always trying to get her to come over and stuff and she didn't really, you know, feel a huge rapport but she was like, oh, she seems nice, I'll go over to her house. And when she went over to her house, there were pictures of them together from work functions and stuff that were on the mantelpiece. That's a stalker. Piece. That's not a friend, that's a stalker. Like, oh, I am your best friend. She realised, she was like, I'm your best friend. Like, will you be the godmother of my baby? And you're like, oh, sure. I didn't... Fully you said yes. They no, said yes. I, she no, said yes. No, it was just sort of more that she had to kind of go, I'm going to have to either amp up my side of this friendship yeah. to anything approximating a friendship, <laughs> or I'm going to have to back out and let this woman know to take me off the mantelpiece. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I think she's British, so she pretended to be more of a friend. Because <laughs> that's you what, what you give do. Give me a memory. I, I remember I worked in a, this like coffee shop wine bar for years when I was a student, and this... Um, perfectly nice man would be in there drinking coffee called Pav. One day he came in and he looked so desperately sad. And I said, are you okay? Like, about serving coffee, are you okay? And he went, no, I'm not. My mum uh, my has just passed away. And I was like, oh, fuck, would you like a cuddle? And went round the counter and gave him a massive cuddle. And that's how we started our friendship. Oh, That's nice, isn't it? That um, is nice. But, are you still um, friends? But then, no. <laughs> <laughs> because then, it, 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 I mean, I'm sure... Who knows whether he listens to this, but then he did turn out to be quite sort of weird. Did he hit on you? No. Never in a solid way. This is possibly a story for the bar now, I feel. Yeah. Now... <laughs> what I meant, I think, is if you go in with some sort of massive affection like that, you can't unaffection that. Mm, you can't hoover it out. No. But also, I still think... One reason I love Tom Selinski so much is one time a friend, somebody who was a new friend, asked for some money and then it turned out had taken money from a lot of people. Um, so it wasn't like she I was you. like... Yeah, but I still felt... Do you know what I mean? I still had that sort of feeling. Yeah. I won't tell you the whole story because it's not, it doesn't feel right. But what I will tell you is that Tom said to me when I told him I'd lost the money, well, I hope we've learned nothing from this. Oh, was oh, that lovely? It's that really lovely. lovely. What lovely. a lovely man! Yeah, like he said, just I like Clive. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "I hope if someone else says they're unwell and they need money, that you will not become cynical." His mantra is always, "I'd rather be a sucker than a bastard." Mm. It's nice. I feel like we're going to get lots of requests for money now. <laughs> I feel like I, this should <laughs> not be broadly. That's terrible. Please welcome to the microphone the one, the only, legendary Jessica Vastergill! 
Legendary sets the bar a bit high, Debs, I think. I've got a uh, three-year-old son who's a sexist. And uh, <laughs> because he's three, the worst insult he can possibly give you is, you're not my best friend. Um, and he's, to be fair to him, just as bad at compliments as he is at insults. A compliment he gave me recently on holiday last week was in front of my whole family. I was in a bikini. He said, Mummy, I love your tummy. <laughs> because it's massive! <laughs> and don't tell my son, but I mean, obviously he is not my best friend. He's three. <laughs> it's objectively poor company. <laughs> but to flip it round a bit, my best friend probably is my mum. Um, <laughs> some people believe me, some people went, ah, yeah, fucking right. Um, it is, it is my mum. And that doesn't mean that it's an easy relationship. But we are really, really close friends. So um, I'm going to tell you a story because very recently, um, I'm 36 years old and um, I'm recently out of a very long relationship and I knew, um, because my mum is such a close friend with me, that I knew I needed to come out to her. I was 36 years old and the longer it went on, the longer the weeks went on of me just knowing this about myself, that I wasn't telling my mum. It felt duplicitous not telling her. So um, I thought, I'll wait for an apt opportunity. And then my mum came up uh, to London where I live to visit and we went out for lunch and she unfortunately immediately gave me a great opportunity um, and said, oh, so in the end of the last few years, you know, while you've been in that dead relationship... Um, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever um, sort of met anyone and thought, oh, well, if I was single, maybe I'd get with them? And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to do it now. I'm going to have to do it now. And I went, y yeah, I have. But um, we need to have a conversation because um, probably that next person, and in the last few years, has always been, in my head at least, um, not going to be a man probably this time. Might be, but probably not going to be. And do you know what? She was so cool about it, but it was still funny. <laughs> because uh, it's very unlike my mum. We were having lunch, and she just started eating really fast, like that. Just smashing her lunch in like that. And then she just started listing every single gay female couple she's ever known. Going, yep. And then there was obviously Sally, and, when she, and she came out of a long marriage, and then she decided she was gay. And then there was obviously... And obviously I work with Jeanette, um, and she's very happy, isn't she, with her partner? And they're all so happy, aren't they? Thank God I've got Rudy, my grandson. Anyway, they're all so happy, aren't they? And they're all so fine, but their lives are so complicated. But I'm absolutely fine with it. I'm absolutely very chilled out about it. And you'll find I'm very chilled out about it. I'm totally chilled about it. I don't even know why we're talking about it, because I'm just so chilled about it. I'm just totally chilled about it. And absolutely... Everything's absolutely fine, actually, so I don't know why you bother telling me about it. It's no biggie, is it? It's no big thing. It's no biggie. It's no big deal. It's absolutely no biggie. It's no big deal at all. Um, and then I was like, okay, great. Yeah, sure. Steered the conversation elsewhere. And then we left the place we were having lunch in, went across the road, and my mum turned to me deadly seriously and went, I've never found a woman attractive in my life. <laughs> One, don't worry, mum, I wasn't going to try and get off with you. To Two, chill out, I didn't catch it off you. <laughs> Three, sorry, but you drink a lot and you spent your whole life as a nurse. Bullshit. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I think what's been funnier is that my mum has been absolutely fine with me coming out, but absolutely hates the fact that I'm into weightlifting. Uh, my mum is a very graceful, composed, floaty woman who, when I was at school, my friends called Galadriel because she seemed to glide more than walk and when she grew up she always did ballet and cello and she did those things in her 20s she was very desperate for me to also 
be into those kind of things. And when I was three years old, she enrolled me in the local ballet school. Um, and it took me two years to get my grade one, which, if I recall right, um, involves mainly sitting cross-legged and going, I am a swan. Um, once I scraped through my grade one, the ballet teacher took my mum aside and said, for Jess, have you thought about rugby? <laughs> and I was uh, away with my mum recently and we were watching TV and there was an advert on telly for Simply Be, a body positive clothes company. And in the advert on telly, there's a woman deadlifting. And my mum's friend and I went, oh, cool. That is cool. Cool. And my mum went, oh, oh, you're not one of those women who lifts weights, are you? And I went, yeah. And she went, oh, you're not going to those horrible big biceps, are you? And I went, yeah. Probably, yeah. And she went, oh, yuck. <laughs> to be fair to my mum, she does exercise, but she only does very feminine exercise. So she does very, very, very slow swimming. <laughs> and recently... I'll leave you with this. Recently, of course she has. She's taken up Nordic walking. <laughs> if you don't know what Nordic walking is, it's for women of a certain age who are ex-PTA with an empty nest and cash to burn. <laughs> cash to burn on special poles. Special poles have got a little sort of padded half glove on them. I don't know if you know these ladies, but when they're walking together, they need a little padded glove at the top of their special stick because these ladies, grip-wise, if they feel like it, might just let go. <laughs> and they walk together over gentle hillocks and bumps and grasslands, you know, feminine hills. <laughs> and they march in unison as one, not against climate change, not for the plight of the Rohingya Muslim. <laughs> Instead, to be the one who that week gets the most praise from Christine, the instructor. Christine is very tall and very thin and very graceful and very composed and who you used to work with, Mum, and now she's her friend. <laughs> my mum is my best friend. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah just interrupting your podcast listening to tell you that we are coming to America in January. We're starting in Boston. We've got two nights in New York. We're going to Chicago. We're going to Philadelphia. We're going to Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and Canada. We're coming at you too, Vancouver and Toronto. Please get tickets now. It's going to be absolutely incredible. We've got some incredible guests lining up. We've got some incredible guests lined up. I'm not allowed to announce the names yet, but they're going to be truly amazing. And it's going to be frantic scenes all over the United States of America and two venues in Canada. So join us when we're on tour in January. All the dates are at guiltyfeminist.com. Also in February, we are coming to Australia. We are coming to New Zealand. We're going to the Enmore Theatre in Sydney. Huge. We're going to do three nights in Melbourne. We are going to Brisbane. We're going to the Gold Coast for the first time where I was raised. Amazing. And then in New Zealand, we are going to be in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Get tickets now. Go to guiltyfeminist.com. On the 26th of November in London, I'm hosting an evening with Emma Thompson, Greg Wise and guests. And those guests include Catelyn Moran, Bill Bailey, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones and Steve Alley. 
Uh, this is all in celebration of the book Last Christmas, which is a collection of essays from people as famous as Meryl Streep and Stephen Fry, but also they're incredible ones from people that you may never have heard of, but have had incredible Christmas experiences. It's a beautiful stocking filler or even a main present. And in addition to it being a beautiful stocking filler, all the proceeds from the book go to the Refugee Council and Crisis. So get tickets for that show at Guardian Live, 26th of November, 8.30pm, an evening with Emma Thompson, Greg Wise and guests. If you are in Manchester and you're thinking, what, we've been left out, you haven't been, Tuesday the 3rd of December at the Manchester Palace, the Secret Policeman's Tour comes to you. The Secret Policeman is a legendary comedy brand from Amnesty International fighting for human rights since the 1970s. We, the Guilty Feminist, have teamed up with Amnesty to revive it in a way where the bill reflects those whose human rights are most routinely eroded or in fact taken away. On this particular show, and we've had some genuine classics, we have Nish Kumar, we have Bridget Christie, Shapiko Sandy, some absolutely extraordinary names. If you go to guiltyfeminist.com, you will be able to see the whole bill, but you won't want to miss it. All of the proceeds go to Amnesty International. You will be doing something wonderful for human rights, and it's a real brilliant end-of-year celebration as well. 3rd of December, 7.30pm, Manchester Palace. Do not miss it. I'm hosting it. Please come. On the 29th of November at 8am, the Choose Love Store is opening. And for the grand opening, I'm going to be there with some other comedians and well-known faces that you will know and love. I'll be doing a book signing. Come and buy some amazing stuff for Choose Love. As Banksy says, what do you get the person with everything? Something for someone who has nothing. Come along. It's an amazing concept. You can buy a hot shower, a hot meal for a refugee, or you can buy like a thermal baby grow or a life jacket for somebody. You can donate for something for yourself or you can donate something for someone else for Christmas. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. 29th of November, 8am, and you can get all the details on helprefugees.org. On the 7th of December in London, there is Global Pillage, 4pm at King's Place. It makes a lovely afternoon tea time show. Two teams of comedians versus the hive mind of the audience, diversity-based cultural questions. And on the bill, we have, as always, me, Ned Sedgwick, Sarah Keyworth, Catherine Bohart, Johnny Cochran, Alice Fraser, uh, who you will have heard in the Crossover Bugle episode, Athenika Blenu, and Souk Ojla from the show today with music from Kirsty Newton. That's 7th of December at 4pm. Come along, join in the fun, be in the hive mind, shout out answers or just buzz for the one you think is right. It's a genuinely riotous, joyful embrace of afternoon. Now, we have some beautiful merch at the moment. I am currently wearing a T-shirt that says unexplained public laughter disrupts the patriarchy and on the back, the Guilty Feminist logo. There's lots of different designs. We have our sister hoodies that say the sisterhood protects me from the rain. And we've even got aprons that say I'm a feminist, but I do love an apron. All of our profits from the merch go into the Guilty Feminist pot for good things. And that's for things like carrying on the suffragettean, help refugees projects. Now, Steve Alley does some necklaces from his company, Road from Damascus. Half the profits go to him for his continuing education and for making the pieces, and half go to his mother's project in Turkey, helping female refugees get a craft. So if you go to road-from-damascus.co.uk, you'll see uh, that he's bringing out two new gorgeous designs for this Christmas. So check those out and they make a very special Christmas present for somebody. They really are stunning pieces of jewellery and they're just something to be treasured. My book has an exciting new cover for Christmas. So if there's someone in your life that you think, oh, they would like this book, 
then come along and get it signed at the Choose Love store. There'll be various signings, including that one that I've mentioned. I'll just pick it up in a local bookshop, ideally from someone who pays their tax, and enjoy this Christmas. And hopefully we'll have more exciting things for you in the new year. And don't forget Hannah Gadsby's on tour. Check out her website for more details. She's going all around the world. And now back to the podcast. Please welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. Um, So this week I have a short piece on a feminist friendship that you may not know about. This is a story about Florence Nightingale, uh, who most of you will know was a very famous English nurse in the Crimean War. And Elizabeth Blackwell. Does anyone know who Elizabeth Blackwell is? Not from the bookshop, no. Uh, Good guess, though. She was the first American woman doctor. And when they met, they just like had this amazing instant connection. And this is a little piece from Blackwell's diary. Uh, She was taken to Embley Park, uh, the Nightingale's home. Now, Elizabeth Blackwell was born in Britain, uh, so she had a lot of ties here, but she was raised in America. She wasn't rich at all, but Florence Nightingale was. And uh, this is how she described her first visit to Blackwell's home. Um, The laurels were in full bloom, examined the handsome house and beautiful grounds. Saturday, a perfect day, walked much with Florence in the delicious air and a luxury of sights and sounds conversing on the future. As we walked on the lawn in front of the noble drawing room, she said, do you know what I think when I always look at that row of windows? I think how I should turn it into a hospital ward and just how I should place the beds. Like so many great friendships have begun. (laughs) Planning a hospital in your stately home. They were the same age. They both came from non-conformist backgrounds with strong links to anti-slavery and both were into medicine, in their words, to escape the women's sphere. Uh, So basically they got into medicine to get out of the nightmare that was being a woman and not having a job or being a nun, which was its own nightmare. Um, But while Nightingale was four years off going to Crimea at this point, so hadn't really found herself and she was just mostly being posh at this time, Elizabeth Blackwell had no money, no connections, but had already graduated from a medical college in upstate New York, thus becoming the first woman in America entitled to call herself a doctor and write MD after her name. Uh, So that she became the friend who was doing a bit better than you in your career, which, as we all know, is a bit annoying. Um, And we need to remember, guilty feminists all, that we are all that friend to somebody, And we all have that friend. Uh, It's a spectrum. We are all somebody else's Elizabeth Blackwell. And we all feel like 1850 Florence Nightingale. Um, Think of the friend now who's doing a bit better than you, who secretly find annoying and who patronizes you a bit. Now, think of a friend who's not doing as well as you and you really try and encourage. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, So you've got to be careful about saying, don't worry, you'll get there. Uh, to that friend because cut to 1859 and boom, the Crimean War has happened. This has been a fantastic career break for Florence Nightingale. Uh, She has become a flipping icon. She was the Lady Gaga of nursing. No, seriously, she had proper mad influence in public affairs, unprecedented for a woman who wasn't a royal at that time. She actually had influence. She could talk to the famous famous people. She was like Oprah. No one knew what she was so famous for, but she was. She was just influential. Um... 
Blackwell, meanwhile, despite her earlier triumph of being like, oh, well, I'm a doctor, and as a doctor, uh, she was now struggling to be taken seriously as a doctor in New York, which was not made any easier by the general belief that woman physician was code for anybody? Abortionist. A woman physician was seen to be somebody giving abortions, and that's why else would a woman become a doctor? Not to help people, which abortions is helping people. But after Crimea, Nightingale went a bit of on to be alone and started campaigning from her bedroom, which I relate to that. Yes, please, to more bedroom activism, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, now, in Blackwell's case, she was also alone in her bedroom, but that was only because no one wanted to talk to her. Um, no one wanted anything to do with a woman doctor, especially other women. Same thing happened to Elizabeth Garrett Anderson. Women wouldn't see her as a doctor. And like Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, our, the British uh, first female doctor, Blackwell opened an infirmary for indigent women and children in New York. And um, that was the first infirmary to be run for the poor entirely by qualified women doctors. Now, when Blackwell returned to England, hoping that Nightingale's celebrity, coupled with her own New York success, would make them a sort of celebrity couple named like Nightingale or Florence Abeth, um, and she thought they could run a Black Knights Hospital together, maybe that would be enough to convince the public of the need for women doctors. But Elizabeth wanted to run a small hospital in the countryside devoted to women's diseases, staffed by women doctors and uh, with a medical college for women attached. And uh, this was Florence Nightingale's response. That all hospitals will ultimately be in the country, I have emphatically said. No one knows why. But I should say the way to hinder, not help this desirable consummation would be to begin with a small pottering women's hospital on a farm in the country. She didn't believe in women doctors, really. She said, what was wrong with being a nurse? Um, now, the public had kick-started a huge amount of money for the Nightingale Fund, because there's nothing new under the sun, uh, to build a nursing school. So there was the night, it was like a Just Giving page. And it needed a superintendent, and so she wanted Elizabeth Blackwell to do that. She was like, why do women need to be doctors? Just be a chief nurse. That's not her exact words, I'm paraphrasing those. Um, but Florence also said that if women were to have a future in medicine, they must be educated, examined, and treated in exactly the same basis as men, and any compromise would condemn them permanently to an inferior status and confine them to treating the diseases of women and children. And nobody wants that. Um, Nightingale summed up their respective positions. Uh, we might share the same objective in some ways, uh, but you want to educate a few highly cultivated women, and I want to diffuse as much knowledge as possible. So the feud then really begins when Florence said to John Stuart Mill that Blackwell had mysterious jargon and uh, that these women doctors had failed to benefit medicine or mankind. The British Medical Journal agreed and said that Elizabeth Blackwell's only motive was self-glorification, whereas Florence Nightingale was an absolute saint. A bit of luck for Blackwell here, her own Crimea. The outbreak of the American Civil War in 1861, yes. But despite her early initiative to recruit women, nobody was interested. Uh, she was scuppered again, and she actually wrote, there's a perfect mania amongst these people to act Florence Nightingale. All the women wanted to be nurses. Uh, she couldn't get people. Florence Nightingale was such a huge star. Everyone wanted to be Florence Nightingale. So all she got to do was chair a committee about nurses. The war had made Nightingale Beyonce, but it had done less than nothing for Blackwell. Blackwell reviewed Nightingale's hit book, Notes on Nursing. She said the book is ill-tempered, dogmatic, and exaggerated. This is, imagine if you're at the Edinburgh Festival, you get this review. I, I see how difficult it would have been for me to do her work. The character of our minds is so different. That is a damning review. They hated each other more and more and more as time went on. 
but they both thought good health, basically fresh air and a nice walk was the secret to medicine. And they both resisted the various germ theories emerging in the second half of the 19th century, as it turns out, wrongly. <laughs> Nightingale said she could always be persuaded by facts, facts, facts. That seems not to be accurate. Uh, but she did come around when she was old. Blackwell basically said, have a nice cup of tea and a lie down, you'll be fine. On one very important issue, though, they stood together. And this is where feminism can triumph over any rivalry between old friends. They both opposed the Contagious Diseases Acts. These laws allowed the police to take any woman off the street they suspected of being a sex worker and submit her to an invasive exam to check that she wasn't diseased. Lots of feminists stood up against this, and Florence Nightingale wrote to Blackwell and said that this so threatened women's inalienable rights and they both believed in sex workers' rights as well. And she said it was the most dreadful crisis ever known in the history of mankind. So they came together in the end over feminism. Now, Florence Nightingale is obviously hugely famous. Elizabeth Blackwell is hardly known. But you could argue she had a greater impact because by the time she died, there were lots of female doctors in America, and that was her influence. And Florence Nightingale didn't really believe in female doctors. But Blackwell had a stroke and was so unwell, she never found out. The last two doctors to attend Florence Nightingale were, in fact... Women! So sadly, she didn't find out about that, so she was unable to rub salt into Florence's massive wound, which I'm sure is something a doctor would never do. I got a lot of this information from Julia Boyd in The Lancet, so I have to thank her for that and say this final quote is, how seldom it is that those who are privileged to initiate an important reform see such wonderful results from the effort of it during their lifetime. They ultimately did come together in ideology. So what I'm going to say to you now is if you have a friend who's a rival but you haven't spoken to in a while, but you basically think you've got the same feminist goals, maybe send them a WhatsApp and say, hey, if nothing else, you inspire me to outdo you. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our guests today are two of the most exciting voices on this year's Fringe. Suk Olja is one of the big stars of the big Asian stand-up on BBC Two, and she's presenting her first solo show this year. Steph Smith is a playwright who won an Olivier Award when she was a new graduate. Please welcome to the stage, Suk and Steph. Hello. So Suk, we're going to con- Suk and we'll Steph. So we're going to focus on you, you first. Well, you've got okay, great. Minutes. Can I tell my um, a really quick John Hamm story first? Yes, please. Um, and I did my first TV job was the Christmas special of Black Mirror a few years ago, and <laughs> shut off. I've not worked since. Um, <laughs> sorry, no, my agent's in. No, thank you, Ellie. I have. Thank you. Um, I didn't know that he was going to be in it, and I had a very small part playing market woman, and I just had to walk across a square and do a little dosey do with um, John Hamm. And at the time, oh my god, I'm getting sweaty just thinking about it. <laughs> At the time, I had such a massive crush on him and I was binge-watching Mad Men and there was a moment where we were left alone. <gasps> Everyone else leave. 
for about 30 seconds. Yes. And what were those 30 seconds like? Describe them in detail. Well, I... Can you do that in public? (laughs) I had a very damp basement. Oh, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But I felt like I had to make a good impression. Yes. It's John Hamm. And I couldn't think of anything to say. So I looked up at the sky. And then I looked at him and I said, there's an 80% chance of rain later. Oh! Fit. I think you nailed it, mate. What What did he say? He said nothing. Nothing? He's too busy trying to contain his quemmy. Yeah, he said absolutely nothing. He said nothing? He just said nothing. And then what happened? I don't remember the next bit. I feel like I had a like, temporary kind of stress-related amnesia. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel he should have been a better conversationalist. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Tell me about <coughs> anyway. your show, Sook. Hello, yes. Uh, so my show is called For Sook's Sake. Um, and yes, we love a pun here at the French. Love it when people get it. And it's about me moving home in my 30s um, to live with my very traditional Punjabi Sikh parents. It's about how I try to kind of navigate life when things weren't really going my way. It's about mental health. It's about going to really quite extreme lengths to find happiness. Do you think you're friends with your parents now? If you move in at 30, the relationship shifted, hasn't it? You're not the child anymore. No, I am. Right. <laughs> I very much am. Because I think it's so easy to slip back into domestic role play. Do you find it, Steph, that you go home and then it's just all like back it was, like you're the little sister or you're the... But you, are you striving for more friendship? Oh, I mean, I dress like a teenage boy and I still act like one. When I go back to my mum's, yeah, yeah definitely. You, you still go into that thing. What about you, Sue? Have you found any ways of finding friendship with your parents? I've tried to relate to them on an adult basis, but then she will constantly undermine that by making me a packed lunch. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it goes both ways, this regression when you get back home. Oh, it goes both ways. It really does. It really um, does. We have a surprise friend in common that we didn't, I certainly yeah. didn't realise till today. We're in a WhatsApp We've group. We've never met. We were already WhatsApp friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love it when that day, happens. We've yeah. both got a mutual friend who we've both done one acting job with and have stayed friends with ever since. John Hamm. Years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. I dosy doed with John Hamm in a Guardian advert. And no. <laughs> Our friend Davina, she's awesome. So how has that been, that feeling of going back home for your feminism? It's been interesting because I think I grew up in a very traditional, very um, conservative, working class kind of household. And I thought my mum wasn't a feminist and actually she really is so for example in my culture in Indian culture traditionally we don't celebrate the births of daughters and that is still prevalent even amongst British Asian communities and in our family my birth was the first one that was celebrated by my mum and my grandmother so To the point where people were sending her congratulations on your baby boy cards and oh. <laughs> coming around. Also, I did look like a boy when I was born. Um, but they thought that I they was a boy. You must have been a boy because she was celebrating. Because she was celebrating it. And, wow. and my and my mum celebrated it here and my gran celebrated it back home in Punjab and would say very openly, she would say, she's much better than any boy we've ever had. So. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 
that's lovely. That is You've really lovely. Yeah. So your mum is feminist, and she I is. think within cultural norms, you know, we find our own ways to be feminist. And do you have any female friendships that are valuable to you that you think you couldn't do this without? Yes, absolutely. So in my show, I talk a lot about mental health, and there's one friend who I will openly say saved my life because I was able to talk to her about my mental health issues, and she helped me with that. My friend Emma, who's the only Cockney I know who's lived in Sheffield for 15 years, but still sounds like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have the same kind of frenemies, the, you know, the friends who are doing slightly better than you. You did that like that, like Deborah and I were frenemies. Yeah, I do, sorry. Everyone's got an Elizabeth Blackwell and everyone's got a pre-Crimea Florence Nightingale in their life and you've just got to be aware that they might have a Crimean war, so Mm. be nice to them. Yeah. (laughs) You just never know when their Crimean war might come their way. And is your show on in a minute? Um, Yes, it's on at quarter past five. In that case, Sook, I would very much like to be your friend. Yes, please Um, do. So this is a friendship being made live on stage. I don't know Sook. But now I do. Can I have a hug? Yeah. Oh God, this is going to make this right it go now? wrong. Okay, hold on. It's going to make it go wrong. I know. This is. <laughs> this is how Jessica Foster ruins friendships. Oh, she's going to hug Jess now. Oh. oh. Big round of applause for Suk. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Steph, uh, you've got a play on at the Traverse called Enough. That's true. That is about a female friendship, amongst other things. Indeed it is, yes. Tell us about that. Well, I was inspired to write it because, particularly in theatre, but I think across lots of different art forms, female friendship is quite a neglected topic. You get lots about romance, loads about families. And certainly when I was little, the things that inspired me were things like Thelma and Louise. But, um, spoiler, they die in the end. So <laughs> I wanted to address a more positive narrative of what it means to be modern women. And the complexities that of that But you can as well. have a friend without dying together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't want to give away the end of the, my play, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Have you got any friends that you... Because I sometimes think, when I'm older, that I would like to live in a commune with women. Do you know what I mean? Like, as a, I don't want to go... And, I don't have any... I think cho- there's some who will be willing. Yeah. yeah. I don't um, want to live... I mean, not a cult, that's be clear. Just, uh, but, you should live in Hebden Bridge. Yeah, I yeah. Just, okay, what's, okay, what's Hebden Bridge? Hebden Bridge is the biggest concentration of lesbians in the UK. Oh. There's a canal. There's a, a canal. Metaphor. It's where Jeremy Corbyn had his big rally where they first started the... Oh, oh, okay. I mean, my commune can be a lesbian commune. That wasn't my first thought. It was more like a mixed sexual orientation commune. Yeah. (laughs) But where everybody's really great friends. Good friends. Good friends commune. Because I read about these Chinese women that had all saved up. Nope. That had all saved up for a house. Oh, God. And they were all going to live together together. when they were old. Oh, this is the bit where I'm going to have to say it sounds like my idea of fucking hell. Does it? Yeah. (laughs) Does it? A commune? Where'd you go for a poo? Every, I have an ensuite. I mean, you have an ensuite. I think they're. Who wants an ensuite so that whoever you're sharing your room with is going to hear all that? I'm not sharing a room. Uh, oh no! In this scenario, <laughs> your commune I is think, it based in a very sort of beautiful spa hotel? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody gets their own room. It's got yeah. like at least two, three beds in it, t- I, just for you. I just think I haven't had any kids, and women live longer than men. Mm. So you know, Tom's probably you know. <laughs> I don't mean to... It might, he might die before me. And so what I'm saying is, Jessica has just ruled herself out of living in my commune because she's thinking oh, nothing worse. I'll pop in for visits. Steph, unless it's a closed commune. Steph, <laughs> Steph it's not a closed... <laughs> Steph, would you come and live in my lady commune? <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
This bear ended a cuddle asked. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Steph thought I'd never ask. <laughs> Who was us in for living in the lady commune when we were really old? I think there's something really interesting in when you meet a friend and you make a friend, and this has happened to Steph recently with your director of your play, yes. who you don't know very well, and then you sometimes you make friendships, and it doesn't happen that often, and then you make a friendship and you're like, oh, I think we're going to be friends when we're old. Yes. That's magic, isn't it? And totally. that's what happened with you guys. Yeah, so Bryony, who directed enough, we didn't know each other before we worked on this project. And it was like week two, and we'd gone to do like notes in a bar, and I'd had a glass of wine, um, or six. And um, we were, we'd had like just this glorious time actually talking about internalised homophobia, to be honest. Lols. Um, <laughs> and uh, I live in Glasgow, so I got the train home. And when I got home, I got this WhatsApp from her. And bear in mind, we're both women in our 30s, very, you know, secure, confident, um, have the same haircut. And um, uh, I don't know why that was important. Um, well, it's a good sign, though, isn't it? That exactly, you're be friends. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like... If you're a similar haircut, it totally, says, you're yeah, you see eye to eye. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And we something. can share hair gel. I mean, that's, if that's not feminism... A lot of other things are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got home and I got, she's going to kill me for telling the story, but I got home and there was a WhatsApp and she said, Steph. And I, and I said, yes. And I was a bit drunk, so I sent like a winky face emoji. Don't know why. And she said, do you think we can be friends now? Oh. Yeah. And I went, yes, mate. I was going to ask you the same question. Because you never usually ask that, do you? You no, never normally no. pop the question like you do with something romantic. No. And you that's don't... where you get those awkward moments where someone's like, will you be... My the... bridesmaid. Yeah, my bridesmaid. Yeah. You're like... I'm a, I haven't... Should have, early doors, going to sit down and go, don't... are you prepared to be my friend or yeah. not? I mean... I'm, and you I... have to go, well, what's that going to entail? I think... <sighs> yeah, if you... If you... Really? It's fucking it's lay true. your cards out. It's our friendships sometimes are more important than our romantic relationships. They last longer. Uh, they get us through the hard times. And there's something fundamentally deeply, deeply important about them. And yet we don't really have a mechanism for starting them or ending them. You know, you can break up with someone. In a romantic relationship, you mm. could go, this isn't working for me. It's very mm. painful, but I'm going to walk out the door and we can't do this anymore. But there's no socially acceptable way to say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. No, I think no. it's harder you ending a friendship. You sort of have to ghost them. Yeah, or die. Or die. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or not let yeah. them in your commune. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. I asked you, you said it sounded like hell. You were always welcome. Still want an invite. I, I, that, that's, and that's flashing. That's, that's flashing. That's, that's friendship. Tom, that's, what's the story with timing? That's flashing. Okay, so can you tell us about your show? Sure. So Enough is on at the Traverse. Um, it's currently sold out. But um, if you come to the... There is a... There is a return Sold out queue. faster than anything's ever sold out in that venue before, so... Oh. Um, that's just a rumour. That's just a rumour. But there's... Is it touring? Um, don't know. Fingers well, it should crossed. be if it's sold out so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. If it's sold out at the beginning of the Fringe, surely it will tour or play the Traverse oh, after the Fringe. I don't, I don't know. I'm okay. just the playwright. Ask the producer. Uh, so, but, but we must look out for you as a playwright. Sure. And I've got another show at the Young Vic in February. It's um, a remounting of Ibsen's A Doll's House called Nora. So that opens up next year at the Young Vic. At the Young Vic in London? Yes. Okay. Well, we will definitely uh, look out for that and let us know and we'll let the Guilty Feminist audience know when that's on. Will do. Um, that's very, very exciting. And also, um, Enough is a Travers production as well. Enough is a Travers production. Okay, that. great. Check out Steph Smith's work. And if you can go along and get a return for that... Uh, it sounds like it'd really be worth fighting somebody for one. 
Um, or uh, maybe you could convince a man in the queue to give you their ticket because if they want to be an ally, like Oliver's... Pro- oh, not Oliver. What's Clive. Clive's probably got a ticket. Clive. Sorry, Clive, Clive. Sorry, Clive. Clive's probably got a ticket. And he might give it to you out of allyship. Clive, he won't have already got a ticket, but a woman would have bought him one. <laughs> I love you, Clive. I love you. I'm going to wait and see how it goes. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here, just updating you about our Big Speeches workshops. Now, as you probably know by now, we have some workshops booked in for the new year. Sunday the 12th of January, Saturday the 18th of January, Sunday the 19th of January and Sunday the 2nd of February, all at the Rose and Crown Theatre Pub in Walthamstow. So we're giving you plenty of time to book for those, be it for a Christmas present, a New Year's resolution or just to treat your own self. I'd also like to add a date to that, which is Sunday the 26th of January. We are going to be back at the Story House in Chester. We had such a great time the last time. We cannot wait to come back. So if you want to book for that workshop, please go to the Story House website. All the other dates are bookable through guiltyfeminist.com. Can't wait to see you there. Jessica Foster, where can we see you? Um, I'm doing a show at the Fringe stand-up show called Hench. I will be touring it in the new year. I also have a podcast called Hoovering that's all about eating. Listen to that. Uh, there's two live shows at the Fringe on the 13th and 14th. My guests are badass. It's at three o'clock again, only a fiver. Come, 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 come. Bring some snacks because you'll be jealous of what we're eating all up. <laughs> and now finally, to end our show with an enormous bang, I said this is the theme of friendship and these people are not just friends, they're sisters. Or as I said to them backstage, I guess, you know, sisters are the best friends. And they said, no, we hate each other. Now, (laughs) it is the Edinburgh Festival, so don't take that to be gospel all year round. They've got a special coming out on Amazon, which you can see. It's actually the television. They are a brilliant, brilliant duo. And they are going to sing now about an experience I believe we almost all at some point have had with a close friend, assuming we drink. Love this guys. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Flo and Joan! Thank you so much for having us. Uh, we are Flo and Joan. Uh, we are sisters and we do... Uh, we don't mind each other. We're like... Uh, we watched the Bross documentary and got scared this year because uh, we're kind of heading the same way. But right now we're okay. It's going to be okay. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a song. Um, this is a song. Who's having a drink? This is a song for you. Smashed it. <laughs> oh, I, I went, went out, out last night, night and, and I ordered a glass of vino. And I was like, well done, mature woman. You ordered a glass of vino. I was with my very good friend Dino Dino is the only name that rhymes with Vino We had a drink, then we had another drink And then we had a break before we had another Lots of drinks, we thought we'd change it up And do some karaoke singing But when I stood up from my chair I knew I was absolutely smashed I drank too much, then I fell down the stairs 
and I broke both my shoes. Then I pulled the handrail off the wall. Then the bouncer came to me and he said, you have to leave. And I was like, I'm fine, but thanks for your concern. So I went back up the stairs. Well, I fell back up the stairs. And then guess what? I fell back down the stairs. Then Dino said you should go home and I was like, no, you are. So I put more lipstick on and went back to the bar where I bought more drinks for all of my friends. My friends at the bar, I'm giving out drinks like I'm Oprah. Then the bouncer came to me and he said, I'm watching you. And I was like, I'm watching you too. I was feeling at my best, I was dancing like Mick Jagger, had a wee stain on my dress, and two glasses of Goldschlager, then the DJ played my song, so I climbed up on the bar, and I sang my favourite song, it went, Dancing Queen, Young and Sweet, our tambourines, oh yeah! I drank too much, then I fell off the bar, didn't know I was pregnant, my favourite TV show, yeah. Then the bouncer came to me and he said, I'm kicking you out. And I was like, no. And he was like, yes. And I was like, you've got the wrong man. I drank too much. Now I'm outside the bar. But it was my choice. Nobody tells me what to do. Then I thought, you know what? Now's a good time to send lots of text shit. Where's my phone? Oh, it's in my hand. So I text my boss and I said, You're a rubbish boss. Yeah. But it was predicted text. It said, Yeah, we bugs balloon. But she knows what I mean. Then my tummy did a rumble. I got hunger tunnel vision. Got my eyes on salty fries and some greasy deep fried chicken. I had 20p to my name because I spent all my cash on booze. When I went into the chicken shop, they said that 20p won't do. So I flashed my boobs. They gave me meal number three chicken burger, four wings, and a leg, large fries, and a can of Coke. Yes, my body, my choice. But as I opened up the door, I dropped all my chicken on the floor. I'm not proud, but I still ate it. I drank too much, and I got in an Uber, and the driver yelled at me, don't be sick in my car. I said, I won't be sick in your car. I drank too much, then I found my way home, but I lost my keys, so I had to break into my conservatory. This is a public warning for those with conservatories. They're easy to break into when you're drunk. Nobody safe. I drank too much, fell asleep on the floor. Then when I woke up, a woman yelled at me, get out of my conservatory. It's not my house. This isn't my house. Where is my house? Has anybody seen my house? And where is Dino? Where the hell is Dino? Oh, who am I kidding? Dino isn't real. Dino isn't real. Dino isn't real. I made him up so I don't have to drink on my own. So that morning I had to go to work because that's what mature women do. Side note, I found my house keys inside my broken shoe. My boss wanted a word to discuss my drunken text. And when I went into her office, I blew chunks across her desk.
Surprise, I was fired. Adulting is harder than you think. So to commiserate, I'm going for another drink. With Dino, where I'll drink to. been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Jessica foster and our very special guests, Souk Ojler, Steph Smith, and Flo and Joan. The recording engineer was Graham Steele. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Luke and Amy at Phil McIntyre and everyone at The Pleasance, as well as all of you, for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Series two before the breakup, but when she was making an extra effort so it didn't happen. <laughs> um, um, shall I do my one? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, I'd forgotten anyone else was here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any of you. I was just with John Hamm in Italy with my hair up like that. You know, like Betty in the episode when they go to Rome. Yeah. And they pretend not to know each other. They pretend yeah. sort of like a bit of a sex game where he pretends he's never met her before and he sits down. So fit. It'll probably be like that. When he pretends he's never met me before, when he meets me for the first time, yeah. I'll be thinking we have met before in our dreams and this is a sex game. Yeah. Holy jumper and wellies. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're listening, um, John Hamm, I'm not a stalker. It's a joke. Sorry, Jess. <laughs>